This is It Was a Thing on TV. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the dregs of humanity. Episode 152, submission number 1870, The Amazing Screw-On Head. The Amazing Screw-On Head was a pilot commissioned by Sci-Fi in 2006. There are two histories, one that is told and one that isn't. I, Abraham Lincoln, do order that America's strangest, most secret histories will only be recorded in one book. These are the adventures of the amazing Screw-On Head. So, let's talk about the early to mid-2000s for a second. There are two things that were starting to become really, really big in the early to mid-2000s. The first one was the adult cartoon, because Family Guy was starting to become, well, they were starting to refine Family Guy thanks to the DVDs. Yep, because they would have just relaunched it on Fox in 2005. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you had American Dad premiering that same year. Yep, that is correct. The second thing that came into prominence in the early to mid-2000s Revisionist or historical fiction. Like you had Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. So, who would get an idea like this? Who? Would you believe the person who created Hellboy? Which is another thing that was really big in the uh, early to mid-2000s. Oh yeah, that was a big movie, Hellboy. Hellboy was an incredible movie. Ron Perlman, come on! Yeah, he made that role. Yeah, he made it just like Tony Shalhoub made Wings. Love Wings! Hey, Mike, did you know I love Wings? He just walked away. Mike! Mike, what's wrong with Wings? But the creator of Hellboy, a guy by the name of Mike Mignola, he also had another sort of underground comic book that he was working on. What?! Another underground comic book. He had another one? He did. Oh, okay. He had another sort of uh, project he was working on, and he got the idea when he was growing up with action figures, believe it or not. Particularly the Batman action figures. Wait, what specific Batman action figures? Are we talking Mego? Are we talking 1989 Toy Biz? We're talking about the... uh, Mid-90s to mid-2000s Toy Biz ones. No, no, no. You you mean the ones by Kenner, I think. Yeah. Okay. Because they had the blank, the blank sort of... Yeah, because I think Toy Biz only had them for like the 89 oh. movie. Okay. So it would be the Kenner ones, because it would be blank Batman or blank Batman. It was basically the same figures with different paint jobs. So, Mike McDola imagined a robot with a head that screwed on to different bodies to suit the occasion. And he turned this idea into a comic book. So, this character is a real-life custom figure. Yes, he's a real-life custom figure. That he could screw his head onto any robotic body, and that would be, you know, his sort of ability. But aside from that, he was just a head. What does everybody want?! 
But he wasn't just any head. He was a cyborg that lived during the Lincoln administration. Whoa! And he was at the president's beck and call. Oh, my God. So not only did Abraham Lincoln have Desmond Pfeiffer, Mm -hmm. he also had a robot who could screw his head onto any robotic body. Mike, isn't that amazing? Oh, don't drag me into this when you mentioned Desmond. It's Desmond Puff Pfeiffer, not Pfeiffer. Puff Pfeiffer. That's how they said it in the Clerks animated series. Oh, jeez. Are we we talking about Clerks again? I thought we were going to stop doing that. Unless we're actually going to talk about the animated series. We'll talk about the animated series at one point. It's on DVD. And I also got to find that one point where we just performed Clerks saves on Millionaires as stay tuned for Clerks. <laughs> we'll, we'll find that eventually. Oh, of course. Of course. So Head was at the president's beck and call, obviously. But he also had an assistant by the name of Mr. Groin. And his dog, Mr. Dog. Mr. This dog is named Mr. Dog. Yeah. Why did he name his dog Mr. Dog? Because he's a dog, obviously. I get that, but why would he pick an unimaginative name like Mr. Dog? I have no idea. Everything Screw on Head did was was in the interest of America. And also the interest of public security, or I guess what would pass for homeland security in the mid 1800s. Yeah, specifically the early to mid 1860s. Yes. Now, here's the story, and it's also the story of the pilot. Grunhead, as we said, was an agent of President Abraham Lincoln who summons him to track down Emperor Zombie, an undead occultist, and originally a groundskeeper at Hyde Park, and Screw-On-Head's original manservant. Wow. Yeah. Now, Zombie and his henchman, the vampire madam named Patience, and his scientist, Dr. Snap, have stolen an ancient manuscript. And the mystery is, why would you steal something that you cannot read? Well, it just so happens that this manuscript would allow whoever possesses it access to the Temple of Gung, who was a warlord who nearly conquered the world over 10,000 years ago with supernatural powers gained from a fabulous melon-sized jewel. Now, once they discover the jewel, it turns out to be a turnip. But not just any turnip. It is a turnip with a parallel universe trapped inside of it. Emperor Zombie opens up the turnip, and it unleashes sort of a demigorgon, demigod sort of thing. Yeah, something like that. That Head manages to beat in combat when he screws himself onto a spider body. Wow. So once... Head manages to summon him back into the uh, turnip. It sort of unleashes a chaotic failure into the temple. And who should save Head but Gung? 
run. This is right as Head, or Head's sort of spider body, imprisons Emperor Zombie into the depths below. <laughs> but this isn't the end. No? Nope, this is not the end. In congratulating Head on a job well done, Head tells the president that there are certain threats that America was built upon. And the only way that he can stop the Confederates from discovering these threats and using them to their advantage was to take control of the lands west of the Mississippi for himself. And so it ends with Lincoln signing the Homestead Act. So that's how it was signed. It wasn't so much for Manifest Destiny, it was to make the world safe for living humans. And that's the amazing screw on head. Yep, and supposedly had both the comic or the television series gone on past that, I'm guessing they would sort of do a monster of the day or threat of the day, sort of like a supernatural meets ducktail sort of situation. Something like that. But basically, it ended with Head saying, We're coming for you, America. Oh, you know what? I'll just let Head say it, because he says it so much better than I am. We're coming for you, America. And by the way, we didn't even talk about the voice cast for this. No, all of this has been sort of story, because it's, it's a very interesting story, I thought. Yes. This very interesting story also has an incredible cast behind it. Yes. Okay. You know what? I'm just gonna... Let's go over the main characters here. Head was played by uh, Paul Giamatti. Yes, that Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I don't even have to go over his IMDb because all I have to say is that Paul Giamatti. And hey... We'll be talking about him in Into the Spidey Movieverse, because he's in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 as Rhino. Mm-hmm. And really, this is probably at his biggest point, just a couple of years after Sideways, when he made his big break. So he would be doing, well, pretty much anything at this point. He'd be doing what he wants. But playing the voice of Emperor Zombie. Oh, boy. David Hyde Pierce. And all we can say is, yes. That David Hyde Pierce. Yep. Niles. Frazier's little brother, Niles. Playing Mr. Groin, screw on head's manservant, Patton Oswalt. And this would be like right before Ratatouille. Right before Ratatouille. Yeah. But yeah, this is um, Patton freaking Oswalt could do any freaking thing he wants. You can pretty much say that about almost everybody in this cast. Mm-hmm. Including the voice of President Abraham Lincoln, legendary voice actor Corey Burton, who, let's see, uh, DuckTales, original and reboot, the Crash Bandicoot series, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Oh, who does he play in Star Wars, The Clone Wars? He plays Count Dooku, Cat and Nick's card. Okay, yeah, I could see him doing a good Christopher Lee impression. 
Star Wars Rebels, where you played uh, Gobi Glee. Disney Infinity 3.0, where you played Cad Bane. And, and a bunch of other stuff. But, uh, yeah, and uh, Jaga, Jaga in the uh, reboot series of Thundercats. Like I said, if we were to go over everything he's done, we would be here forever. So, yeah, suffice it to say, Corey Burton, legendary voice actor. And then playing Patience the Vampire, Molly Shannon. Oh, Molly Shannon. Superstar. Superstar. Oh, yeah, and, and we'll also be talking about her when if we ever do another Lost in Translation week. Because, Mike? Yeah? She was in the American version of Kath and Kim. Yes, she was. Oh, this, this there will be another Lost in Translation week. Oh, yeah, we, we need to talk about Kath and Kim because there's actually a decent Australian series. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and plug that on the schedule. Yeah, you got to find a week where... Every... I will find a week for both Kath and Kim and the Bad American dubbing episode of Power Rangers Dino Thunder. Yeah, put that... next March. Maybe we'll make that an uh, No, because no, March... It can't be next March because... Oh, wait, there's like... There is an open week in March. There's an open week in March. I'm on it. Yeah, because we're doing... We're having a theme for Doctor Strange 2. Yeah. Uh, to quote River Song spoilers okay and rounding out the cast is somebody who we will talk about later on this year greg yeah mindy sterling oh yeah mindy sterling she was in austin powers of course yes uh she was uh frau for in austin powers she was also uh one of the lunch ladies in saved by the bell the college years if you remember what oh yes Yes, I remember that. Yes. See, Mike remembers it. I, hope I, don't, she... think, I, I don't think it was a cafeteria lady. More than she was uh, uh, working. She was, a, she was. She worked at the un, She worked at the diner in the union at California yeah, yeah, University. She, yeah, she, she wasn't a cafeteria worker. She she was yeah at the place where I think Screech was a manager at one point. At one point, yes. Oh, yeah. I I hope that there's a scene of her with Bob Golick. Yeah, there is. There is. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure. That, now, mind you, within the last, like, three months, two months, uh, I believe is E, and also I think IFC reran Saved by the Bell, the college years. And mm-hmm. I, I caught most of the episodes, and I, I did see Mindy Sterling, and I'm pretty sure Bob Golick entered the diner in that episode. Oh, uh, yes. Because yep. we, all, we all love Bob Golick on this podcast. We do. Bob Golick from the same little suburb that I live in. Yeah. Haven't seen him around town, but I know he makes uh, appearances in the area. And he has a great starting lineup figure, too. Oh, everything about Bob Golick is great. (laughs) Yep. Except his brother. Anyway. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Hey, I like him better than Mike Greenberg. I'll say that much. True. (laughs) True. So that was an incredibly stellar cast for this sort of project that was worked on for um, sci-fi. And it had an incredibly stellar writer as well. You had Brian Fuller heading up the whole thing. What would he be best known for? Brian Fuller is sort of like known for macabre, having this macabre sort of 
funny expectation with death. He did Dead Like Me. He did Pushing Daisies, which we need to talk about. Oh, yeah. Know, sometime. I think he... Yeah, because isn't he also well known for like like Wonder dropping? Yeah, isn't he also well known though for like dropping out his series? Also, yeah, he did six scripts of American Gods before he dropped out of that. Oh, well, he wrote six episodes of American Gods before he dropped out of it, and he wrote seven episodes of. Star Trek Discovery. And no, he, dropped... he wrote one episode of Star Trek Discovery. Oh, sorry. He he wrote three episodes. It was, it was a number between one and five, guys. He wrote that many episodes of Star Trek Discovery before dropping out. He was like, no, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And this will not be the first time that Brian Fuller comes up in pilot month. Yeah. Just saying. Oh, and wasn't this also produced by Harmony Gold? Yes. Now, they're very notorious, I've heard, in the grapevine. Harmony Talk to Gold. me about Harmony Gold. I thought you knew about Harmony Gold. I Oh, I did know about Harmony Gold, only because I am a big fan of Robotech, and they sort of did a really, really... They, uh, they tried to marry three unrelated TV shows under the Robotech banner. For some reason, it worked, but yeah, Harmony Gold is just, it it has this sort of reputation, and um, I guess the reputation is for really bad dubbing. Oh, okay, so they're like four kids. Yeah, well, they did make a Shaka Zulu. Okay. The, the miniseries. Okay, I don't know what that is. Shaka Zulu, miniseries, mid-80s. Okay, I'll take your word for it. But uh, aside from that, Harmony Gold also have an extensive history of legal troubles. Yeah, yeah that's basically what I know them for whenever I hear them on like a podcast. Yeah. People bitch about them. Yeah, um, federal agents raided uh, Frank Agrama, who is the founder of Harmony Gold, on tax fraud in Italy. Oh, and embezzlement and oh, false accounting investigation. Oh, that's uh, fantastic. Back to Silvio, Silvio Berlusconi. Oh, okay. Hashtag Bunga Bunga. Bunga Bunga. And in 2012, uh, Agrabo was convicted after a lengthy trial involving the buying and selling of U.S. firm rights to the media set media company who owned the Harmony Gold Library at the time. He was accepted from a direct imprisonment and served no actual jail time on account of him being 70. But they charged uh, Agrama in a trial over tax fraud, embezzlement, and false accounting at Mediaset. And ultimately, this... And, and wait, and getting back to Macross, Harmony Gold owns the copyright, at least partly, in the U.S. for the mecca of Macross and Southern Cross and Most Peta, which have been used to uh, create the Robotech franchise. And of course, FASA, who created the Battletech franchise, was licensed directly from the Japanese producers of Macross with overlapping rights, not being realized for nearly a decade. Harmony Gold sued FASA, 
and those uh, designs were removed from the game. So basically, anything relating to Mecha in the U.S., Harmony Gold will sue you for. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And even if you're not in the U.S., they'll find you and they will sue you as well because Macross was ultimately licensed from Tetsunoko, who, if you remember, produced the original Go Go Go, a.k.a. Speed Racer. But Studio New, the creators of that series, controlled the intellectual property of Macross. In 2003, a ruling in the Tokyo District Court ruled that Tatsunoko production had the authorship rights to the franchise, and this was against the 2002 ruling, where the design of one of their mecha, the Valkyrie, was awarded to Studio New. It does not allow them to control intellectual property, only the international distribution outside Japan. So in November 2016, Harmony Gold initiated arbitration against Tatsunoko, to which Tatsunoko responded with counterclaims. Ultimately, Harmony Gold was reported to have held several trademarks related to Macross, and its trademark for the Macross series was renewed on December 26, 2012, with the expiration date set to take place in 2022. There is more, but basically, Harmony Gold owns Mecha as we know it. Until Christmas of 2022. Well, we better hope they don't find this podcast. All we're saying is, we are not reporting anything that isn't already out there. Yeah, so don't sue us, Harmony Gold. Yeah. So getting back to the amazing screw-on head, it had all of these things going for it. An incredible storyline, an incredible writer, an incredible cast... And sci-fi chose to release it on their website, sci-fi.com, instead of sci-fi proper. So the question now becomes, what happens to this show? I mean, was it a case of, I can't believe I'm about to make this joke. Was it a case of this show pretty much being ahead of its time? Well, yeah, because don't you have stuff like Rick and Morty, like, now? Yeah. So I guess maybe the world wasn't ready for this type of show. Yeah, I guess you could say this show was simply a head of its time. (laughs) Okay, I need to chime in, especially after that line. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. I don't see much of Rick and Morty in The Amazing Screw-On Head. No, uh, well, you wouldn't because it's not so much an idea. It is an idea more than like a direct sort of relationship. It's the idea of surrealist, almost absurdist comedy. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Yeah, because again, this was like... In the area of 2006 before it became popular to be that weird. Uh, since then, you had films like The Leica Library. Yeah, Coraline, The Leica Library. Like Paranorman. Paranorman. Paranorman's great. Paranorman's awesome. And you have TV shows like Rick and Morty, Solar Opposites, which, by the way, dropped season two on Hulu. So, yeah. 
I mean, if you were to uh, try Amazing Screw on Head on a proper network like an Adult Swim or a streaming outlet, I honestly think it could succeed. Yeah, but the problem is it was commissioned by Sci-Fi. And Sci-Fi at this time was, I think, they were just beginning the process of transferring to spelling their name with Y's. Well, the copyright card at the end of the episode was sci-fi. Spelled spelled S-C-I slash F-I. Yeah, and we all know, nobody is going to admit to this, but we all know the reason why they changed the name from sci-fi to S-Y-F-Y sci-fi was that it was something that NBC Universal could trademark. Yeah. They wanted to make money off of the sci-fi name. And also at this time in 2006, wasn't at this point sci-fi had just started airing ECW? They started airing ECW and they were almost to the point. No, they, they would still be airing yearly delayed episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. For some reason, they aired Doctor Who on a one-year delay. Yeah. This was before BBC America got the U.S. rights. And started airing same-day rights. And the world was better off for it. The world was much better off. It was dark days where you had to go to torrent sites. You had to go to the dreaded torrent sites and try to download Doctor Who. And you had to wait probably like eight hours for it to finish downloading. Yep. I'm when not that... saying I'm not saying I did that. I know some people not. who did that. Greg, Greg is innocent, y'all. Greg I is did, innocent. I did not. I, I I've heard stories. But when to... the announcement came down from BBC America, this year Christmas won't be late. By the way, nice reference to the Alvin and the Chipmunk song there. It was. The best day ever, I think. Yeah, it was. But the amazing screw on head. Hmm. What can I say except... It was almost a thing on TV. It was. And I've said this before, the story doesn't end there. Oh. Uh, I know it's coming. As soon as I can find it. It's not the haiku. No. Sadly, I don't have your mad haiku skills, Greg. No. But I do have this. Let's go shopping! Okay. Okay, what is this? All right. Now, the story of The Amazing Screw-On Head was made into a book and published as a compilation called The Amazing Screw-On Head and Other Curious Objects. It was written, by, written, of course, by Mike Mignola, and it was released as The Amazing Screw-On Head and Other Curious Objects. And it is actually available new on eBay. Okay. So, uh, how much for this thing? Well, who's starting? Because let me tell you everything that comes with it right now. The story of Screw on Head and other stories by Mike McNola 
Cover has no wear, and it has the dust jacket. Published in 2010 by Dark Horse Comics. All right. Okay. So who's starting first? Greg, why don't you start first? Okay, so it's a graphic novel. It's a graphic novel, yes. $25. Uh, Mike. $29.95. Okay. The actual buy it now price for the amazing screw on head and other curious objects graphic novel anthology is. Oh, break out, break out the checkbooks at $63. I knew it was going to be more than 25. I just didn't want to go too much higher. Well, Mike, it got there in the end. And since you're not a big fan of revisionist historical fiction, you can give it to a friend who is. Greg, enjoy your book. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Hey, Greg is a big fan. And I'll tell you something. Interesting little lighter note on this book here. Comic Book Resources says, if you read only one comic about severed robot heads fighting, I don't know, some damn thing or the other at Abraham Lincoln's behest, that comic should be the amazing screw-on head. If you really want this book, though, do yourself a favor, go on Amazon and get it for $18. Because this guy, I'm sure he's a really good seller, but this guy is nuts. Or he's, you know, trying to flip it for a profit or something. Not going to do that again. Anyway, so uh, before we get the call from Abraham Lincoln to go fight crime and evil, uh, undead or otherwise, why don't you check out our website? It was a thing on TV.com where you'll find all of our minisodes, all of our episodes, and all of our live shows, not to mention links to our socials. We're on all social media at It Was a Thing on TV. And of course... A links to our good friends at Place to Be Nation, where Greg did a thing this last week. Oh, yeah. Thanks to good old Andy Afferton, I was a part of the Price to Be Nation trivia night, which you can find on the Place to Be Nation pop experience. I went up against Matt Souza and Mike Valenti to talk about 90s trivia, and I'm not going to spoil the result. You'll have to listen to it for yourself. But I'm just I'm just going to say I'm sure glad I didn't get that call because I don't think they would host our weekly drops after that. Well, considering we're still on after I did the episode, that probably gives you enough of a clue about how I did. But I won't say anything about it. You'll have to listen for yourself. I'll, I will only say, Greg, did you do you feel like you did your best? I feel like I did my best. Now that's all that matters. That's all that matters because when it's done, win or lose, you always did your best because inside you knew that one shining moment you reached for the sky, one shining moment you knew, one shining moment you're willing to try, one shining moment you knew. You brought me to tears, man. And Mike's let's just like the hell is he talking about worst acting ever (laughs) okay so what is on the docket because we're still in the midst of pilot month and what do we have next week well we're going to take a detour from pilot month next week 
for the mm-hmm. first episode. It's actually going to be the second episode next week, but there's a reason why it's the second episode next week on Thursday. Because there's a certain historical anniversary next week. I don't know what that entails, Chico. Oh, I see what you did there. Okay. Yeah. So next week, we'll be talking about something related to this historical event. And by the way, you can get this on Blu-ray and DVD right now. KinoLorber.com. Just saying. Yep. And our second episode, which is actually the first episode next week. As we go back into pilot month, is a fast and furious quiz show that sort of looks like the love child between Jeopardy and Blockbusters and Split Second. They basically had a quiz show three-way. Yeah, Mike, you're excited for this pilot. Yes, I'm very excited for this pilot. Yes. Do we mention Peter Tamarkin is involved? Because that's important. Yes, it's very important to mention that Peter Tamarkin was involved in this pilot. Peter Tamarkin hosting a quiz show that looks like the love child between an orgy among blockbusters, Jeopardy, and Split Second. So how did this not get picked up? I guess we're going to have to find out before the next installment. Of it was a thing on TV. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend, everyone. Well, yes, it's as I always say. All really intelligent people should be cremated for reasons of public safety. Better late than never, I say. Being too familiar. <laughs>